Well, good morning, Christ Chapel. Great to see you. That was very uh, unenergetic. Good morning, but I'll take it. Thank you. You guys must have stayed up late and watched the TCU game uh, yesterday. I'm sure many of you did uh, who are streaming with us online. And yeah, that gets some applause. I'm sure it got some applause at some of our other venues, whether that's South Campus, West Campus, uh, Hive, Converge. So glad that you have uh, chosen to spend a part of your weekend uh, to worship with us. And I would just like to say to you and to everyone else, uh, I truly thank you for the privilege that it is uh, to be able to preach God's word. It is the greatest blessing in my life, and I'm so thankful uh, that you allow me to, to do it, not only today, but you've allowed me to do it uh, so much in the past and uh, grow in that um, capability or skill or whatever you want to call it. Because I was thinking back this past uh, week, I remember my first sermon that I ever preached at Christ Chapel was uh, March 22nd of 2009. Uh, on Isaiah chapter 11. It was in a series called uh, Good News for Bad Times. And uh, because it was my first sermon, I, I was assigned uh, Dr. Doug Cecil. He was going to help me be, uh, get my sermon ready because uh, he was my professor at DTS. Then he had already come over to staff at Christ Chapel. And so he was kind of walking me through how I could prepare to preach to more people than were in my boyhood hometown, uh, honestly. And so I remember my first meeting with Doug and he said, he said, Cody, it is my goal that you would have this sermon down so cold that if somebody woke you up at four in the morning, you could stand and deliver that sermon. That, that was his goal for me, which I, I appreciated. He, he wanted to make sure that it was, it was in me, it was a part of me, that nothing would, would rattle or, or shake me. And so, I mean, we spent countless hours meeting. He was very gracious and kind with his time. Uh, I spent countless hours reading and, and preparing and studying. I wrote eight different uh, manuscripts, and uh, finally chose the one that I was going to uh, deliver. And I remember I came up on Saturday night here at the Fort Worth Sanctuary. No one was here. Uh, I turned on the lights. I preached that sermon six times right here on Saturday night. My seventh time was the next Sunday morning uh, when I preached it uh, to everybody else. I mean, it was, it, it, it was crazy. I mean, had a robber broken into my home at four in the morning, I would have stood up and said, good morning, welcome to Christ Chapel, open to Isaiah chapter 11. I mean, it, it was it, I had it. it. It was in me. I had spent so much uh, time preparing, which got me to thinking, what could you recite? If someone woke you up at four in the morning, what could you deliver? I don't, I don't know what that is, but what I do know is it would have to be something that you were very familiar with, had to be something that was already in you, something you cared a whole lot about, something that you spent a whole lot of time on. I, I mean, I, if I woke you up at four in the morning, I, I guarantee you could tell me your birthday. You know, hopefully you could tell me your anniversary uh, if you're married. Uh, some of you could tell me the TCU score, you know. Uh, you, it, those things that we spend a lot of, of time on, that we care a lot about, those are the things that, that we can deliver in unexpected times. Those are the things that we are prepared 
for. We're prepared to give an answer regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the timing, whether we were surprised or not. And I don't know what it is that you could deliver at four in the morning, but there is one thing that I can help you prepare for that you better darn sure be able to wake up and stand and deliver cold no matter what time it is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. It's page 830 if you're opening uh, your Bible in one of the venues, that blue one, 830. We're continuing our series, Living with the End in Mind. And remember, the goals for this series, if you remember, we want to educate you on end-time events. We want to inspire a sense of hope as you see chaos ensuing in our world. But I hope you know that God is in control, and that's what we've been trying to show you. But also encourage a sense of urgency, urgency to live with the end in mind because this thing is driving toward a conclusion and we need to live our lives in light of that end. That's why we've called the series uh, Living with the End in Mind. And so the past few weeks, we've definitely been more, uh, I would say, educational heavy. Um, it's been definitely more uh, head-oriented. Certainly want, want your heart to be engaged and have prayed for that uh, throughout this series. But we've walked through those different events. And that's why we've put that timeline uh, at the top of your sermon notes. And that timeline we've been walking through, remember, you are here in the church age. That's that star. You are here. You're right before all of these things are going to happen. We talked last week about the rapture of the church, which is imminent. Remember, imminent means can happen at any time. It is inevitable. It will happen. We just do not know when. That's the rapture of the church. We talked about, Dr. Bailey talked about the tribulation, and I talked about the second coming. So we've been walking you through these different events that Jesus has been telling us in Matthew chapter 24. And remember, he's talking to Israel throughout this whole thing. And we are eavesdropping in on his conversation with Israel to draw on some of these principles that he's giving them because we need to be just as prepared to meet him as they did. That, that's why this, this relates to us uh, today. And so we walked through those different end time events as he laid them out. And then he's going to give in the rest of chapter 24 and 25. If you'll remember from last week, I told you he gives them three parables that tells them what it's going to be like when those times occur. So he, I'm telling you what's going to happen Now I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like. The first one was the parable of the fig tree, which we were not going to cover. This week, we're covering a different parable. And you're going to ask, what is a parable? Let me define that for you. I put this on your sermon notes, a a definition for you. A parable is a story that uses everyday situations to explain heavenly truth, which can be applied to everyday life. Everyday story that describes Heavenly truth that can be applied to everyday life. Now, the word parable, just, just so you know, actually means to cast alongside. It's where we get our word parallel from. I'm going to give you a quick uh, geometry lesson. Parallel. You know, you know parallel lines. That, that's, why we get the, that's where we get our definition because a parable casts truth alongside everyday life. 
then there's correlations. But here's my problem with parallel lines when we talk about this, is that parallel lines never intersect. You you learned that in high school, right? But we want truth to intersect, intersect our lives. That's why I've given you the definition I've given you, because I want you to think about parables as triangles. It's an everyday story with heavenly truth that has everyday application. So we can relate those. We can correlate the truths that we're learning to our everyday lives. And that's what we're going to be doing today. Because he's going to use an everyday story to communicate heavenly truth. And this story that he's going to use, this example, is of a wedding. Now, you're all familiar with weddings and what weddings are, are like and the stress that they induce and all of those things. But... Um, You've got to understand a Jewish wedding of those days to understand this parable. So let me set the context and just some parameters about Jewish weddings. So Jewish weddings, they started off in the same place that we start off in our modern day culture with an engagement. Uh, They called that the betrothal though. The betrothal period or the engagement period as we would know it was actually probably an arranged marriage. It was probably an arranged engagement. Sorry, everyone, but that's how it worked back then. And so it was an arranged by the parents, and there was a contract that was, that was made in the betrothal and said, you're going to marry you know, her or him. That's how it's going to be. And that began the betrothal period. It was, it was a binding relationship, a binding contract. In fact, if you broke off the betrothal, you would need a certificate of divorce. That's how serious the engagement period was. And so the betrothal period started it off, started off the relationship. But the betrothal period was about a year long. And the reason why it was a year long was not because they were determining the color of the napkins for their reception, okay? It was because there were preparations that the groom had to make to receive the bride. That's why it was a year long. So the preparation that had to be made by the groom were things like they would have to go and they would build a room onto their, his parents' home so that the, the bride and groom, yes, bride and groom, you went to go live with his parents, okay? Does that not scare anybody else? I would be like, oh man, I'm so glad I lived during these days. Um, so he would have to go build a room onto his father's house to receive his bride. They would have a place to live. Other things might include uh, plowing or planting a field to then harvest and have a crop to be able to show that he could provide for his bride. All of these different preparations had to be made, which is why it took basically a year long for this betrothal process, a lot of preparation. Then you got to the actual ceremony. The ceremony occurred at the bride's house. So when the groom had made all of the preparations, they would go to the he would go to the bride's house. They would have the ceremony there with the parents. That that was a short ceremony. Then after that, they would go for the celebration, and the celebration was back at the place he had prepared. That that's what it was. The the place that he had put his time and energy and effort into. There would be this processional or parade back to the groom's house, the place he had prepared 
for his bride. Betrothal, long preparation. Indeterminate amount of time. You don't know how long it's going to take him to prepare. It wasn't like our days where you set a date and it's that date no matter what. It was, here's your checklist. Once this checklist is done, then you can go and get your bride. Then you have the ceremony, then the celebration. Those are important things for you to understand because what Jesus is saying here, if you look back at the timeline, he's saying to Israel, where we are going to be in this parable is between the ceremony and the celebration. That it's time. He has now about to enter the celebration portion where he comes back to establish the millennial kingdom on your timeline. And he's asking Israel, are you going to be prepared? Are you going to be prepared for me to come back? Are you going to be prepared to meet me? That is the bottom line question for today. That's the whole parable. That's, that's what this whole thing is about. Are you prepared to meet the groom? That's what he is asking. Because he doesn't want the groom's day to be a doomsday. You understand that. You understand what that means. And I'll show you how it can be here. So what I want to do is explain this parable as we go throughout it. I want to explain what it is, give you the principles, and then some applications so that we can all live with the end in mind. So let's look at verses 1 to 6, where I want you to see that spiritual preparation is essential because you do not know when it is necessary. Spiritual preparation is essential because you do not know when it is necessary. Look at verses 1 to 6. Now we get into the parable, this, this everyday story that has heavenly truths that can apply to our everyday lives. It says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Now when it uses the word virgin, let me pause there, what it means is unmarried bridesmaids. You, you, you know what bridesmaids are or attendants to the bride. So the, they're, not the, they're not the main thing. They're, they're waiting for, they're helping, they're attending the bride. That's what it means when it says virgin here, a bride. So think bridesmaids. So then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom, the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. We're going to stop right there because I want to show you how the spiritual preparation that you and I need to make is essential because you don't know when it's going to be called upon. As I told you, there are 10 virgins here or 10 bridesmaids, maidens, brides, attendants that are there to help. You see, the custom was that once a bride was betrothed, that ladies, these unmarried bridesmaids, would go and they would spend time with the bride. I mean, it's kind of like before our weddings today. You know, the, the bride and the bridesmaids, they go off the day before the wedding or they go off on a trip or they do what, some of these things are elaborate these days. It's crazy. Or even before the wedding, you know, they have a brunch and they, 
get their toes done and all that, that, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about. They spend time together. Same then as these, these bride, ma- bridesmaids or attendants would spend time with the bride. But the, these attendants, just like the bride, they didn't know when the groom was going to come. They didn't know when the ceremony was going to start. Because remember, it wasn't based on a date. It was based on to-dos. These preparations that the groom was making from afar. And so they had to be ready. And they had, one of the things they had to be ready for was with their lamps. Now, a better translation of, of that lamp here is actually a torch. Uh, I mean, think Indiana Jones going into a cave. Okay, sorry, I've, I had to give guys something here because I talked about girls doing toes. Okay, guys, Indiana Jones, torch. I mean, big stick. You've got the cloth on top that has oil on it that can be lit and that can light like a very dark area. That's what they needed there because once that ceremony happened, remember they are spending this processional, this, they're going back to this parade, back to their attending this uh, parade, back to the groom's home. And so, and oftentimes this happened at night because the celebration back at the groom's home would be at night. It would be a feast that would last a long time, a great celebration of this ceremony that had just occurred. But the brides have to be ready to lead, bridesmaids, sorry, have to be ready to lead that processional back to the groom's home. And they did it with the torches. Those torches would help light the way back to the groom's home. And so that's the context here. And he says, there were five bridesmaids who were wise and five who were foolish. The the word wise means sensible, prudent, giving forethought. There were five who were were sensible. There were five who were foolish. And we're gonna learn why they were foolish in just a moment. It wasn't that they slept because all of them slept. But five of them were foolish. Now, one of the things that you need to know is that oftentimes in Scripture, when the word foolish is used or when somebody is talked about as a fool, what it oftentimes means is they do not live with the end in mind. They do not look toward the future. They do not act in a prudent or sensible way for tomorrow. They only live for today. That, that's oftentimes what a, when it describes fools, it's those who only live for the moment and don't look forward, who don't plan for what is ahead. And that's what he's talking about here, that they're foolish. Because at this, in this parable, it says that the groom or bridegroom comes at midnight, and another translation could be in the middle of the night. So in the middle of the night, This groom comes, and it is time to show that you are prepared. And five are going to be wise and prepared, and five are not. But you don't know when your spiritual preparation is going to be called upon. You see, your preparation could be called upon at a time that you're not expecting. Just like this uh, parable starts to allude to when, it, when the groom comes in the middle of the night at a time that they might not have expected it, at a time when they were drowsy, at a time when they were sleeping, that's when the preparation, their preparation was called upon. 
And for you and for me, the spiritual preparation that we need to have in our own lives, it will be called upon at times that we're least expecting. And the time to prepare for tomorrow is not tomorrow. The time to prepare for tomorrow is today. And I'm not asking you to prepare for things that you don't have any control over. I'm, t- I'm talking about control what you can control. Prepare for what you can prepare for. Prepare for what you know is coming. And we all know that what's coming is the day of the Lord, the day that we will meet him face to face. Those are the things that we need to be prepared for. Because the things that you know and can foresee, you are expected to be prepared for. I, I took this uh, literally, not in a spiritual manner, but uh, preparing for things that I know, I think it's built in me. Um, I am an old man, those who don't know me. Um, I, let me tell you, I turned, uh, when I turned 12, I was 40, okay? I, I mean, it just, I have an old soul, it is what it is, and I always wanted to be prepared for the next day. And when I was about eight or nine, I took it very literally. And I started thinking about the things that were coming the next day and the things that I could prepare for. And so things I could prepare for, like getting, you know, my backpack ready and all that stuff for school, I did that, no no doubt. But I took it an extra step uh, because what I realized is I could go ahead and get dressed in my school clothes the night before. So I would get dressed in my school clothes so that I didn't have to get up and then get dressed. Another step. I slept on top of my sheets so that when I woke up, I didn't even have to make my bed. So, man, I'm telling you, when it was time, when I was called to get up, I was ready to go. I was dressed. I didn't have to make my bed. All I had to do was grab my backpack. I didn't sleep in my shoes. But all I had to do was grab my backpack, and I was out the door. I was prepared ready to go, preparing the things that I could be prepared for. Because the time to prepare for tomorrow is not tomorrow. The time to prepare for tomorrow is today. And we hear that in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What he's talking about there is don't ignore the call to prepare for tomorrow. Don't harden your heart. Don't rebel and say, I don't have to look forward to tomorrow. I don't have to prepare for tomorrow. I can just live for the moment. I can just live for today. I don't have to prepare for then. Because the spiritual aspects that will be called upon, you can never foresee. You can never prepare for those things. And I mean this in the way of salvation, yes. 100%, and I'm driving there in just a moment. But let me also tell you, for those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, let me just tell you, um, and you know this, but tragedies are unexpected. And I, I know people that tragic things have happened in their life, and the things that they draw on are the things that they've done in years past. It's the promises of the Lord that they remember. It's the scriptures that they memorized. It's the community that they've built. It's all of those spiritual investments that they've made years prior, days prior, that helps them through those tough spiritual times that nobody can foresee, that no one can expect. In, in fact, I, I, know, I, I know a couple 
who tragically lost a child. And um, they got super, super serious about their spiritual lives about two years before that happened. And they would tell you today, as they've told me, Cody, God got us serious about our relationship with him so that we could get through that. But they, they didn't know that was coming. None of us know what's going to happen. But the spiritual preparation we make today, that will pay off tomorrow. But we just don't know. It's going to be at an unexpected time that that's going to be called upon, that you're going to draw upon that. You see, and it's not something that we can all do together. Spiritual preparation is every person's individual responsibility. It's every person's individual responsibility. Remember verses 1 to 6, they're getting ready to follow this bridegroom, and the cry has gone out, and it's time for them to light their torches, to lead the processional so that they can accompany the bride and bridegroom back to the celebration at the groom's house, and this is what we read in verses 7 to 9. Then all those bridesmaids rose, and they trimmed their lamp. They started getting their lamps ready. And the foolish said to the wise, well, give us some of your oil, for our lamps, they've gone out. But the wise, who had brought an extra flask, an extra little thing of oil, they answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, then you should go and rather get the dealers, go to the dealers and buy them for yourself. So this, this time where it's time to light your lamp, and the ones who were wise, they had thought ahead and said, hey, we don't know when the groom's going to come, so we're going to take some extra oil so that we're ready no matter what. The foolish ones they didn't plan for any contingencies. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. And so they said, you got to go buy your own. We can't share. Now, I'm just going to say, this passage for me was very troublesome for many years when I came to know Christ because I grew up learning that sharing is caring. And, and you all did too. I mean, this sounds, doesn't this sound awful? I mean, you're going, have a heart, like share some of your oil with them, please. I, I, I would beg that you would do that. But this isn't like something tangible that can be shared. This isn't like the doomsday preppers where, you know, you save up water and food and those kind of things and you can share those tangible goods with other people that are in trouble. This is an intangible preparation that they have to make. And that intangible preparation cannot be shared because it's a belief. It's a belief, it's a relationship. And I can't share a relationship with you. I can't share a belief with you. I can share with you what I believe, but you've gotta own it yourself. It's gotta be something that you believe. It's gotta be something that you, a relationship that you have yourself. It can't be something that you lean on someone else's belief or someone else's salvation. Or as one commentator put it, and I love this, the saved cannot become saviors. This is an individual decision, preparation that you have to make, that every person alone has to make themselves. 
But while you can't make that decision for someone else, I do believe you can model it. You can model the preparation that needs to occur. And that's one of the reasons why I think these bridesmaids are called foolish, the five, is because they saw the preparation that the wise ones had made and they decided to ignore it. You see, but we can prepare in such a way that our lives show there is a coming king. There is a, a groom to come, and we are ready to meet him face to face. See, your preparation for the kingdom to come can illuminate someone else's path to Christ. It can illuminate someone else's path to Christ. You've heard the saying, and I grew up in the country, but you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Your preparation can lead people to Christ. It's their decision. What, whatever they decide, because it, it's got to be their relationship, not, not your own. And you'll see how that individual preparation plays out here. But just thinking about what can I do to help. It reminded me of this verse in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is the light idea. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. That the, the way that we prepare should show, uh, should illuminate that we are living for a coming king. We are living for that groom to come who will take us to be with him to celebrate that marriage supper as described in the millennial kingdom. And we are going to be there and that preparation shows someone else, oh my gosh, you're different. I mean, we would be different in our world, folks, if we did those first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. Do all things without complaining or disputing. If we just did that, people would go, you're different. And you go, you're right, I'm different, because I'm not going to complain about this world being the world. I have compassion for the world because the world is the world, because they don't know Jesus. I, I, we live differently, and that illuminates that we are prepared and other people need to be prepared as well. And they need to be prepared because this spiritual preparation will be revealed and will have an everlasting result. Spiritual preparation will be revealed and have an everlasting result. If you look at verses 10 to 12, it says, And while they were going to buy their own, while the five foolish bridesmaids are going to buy their own oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready... They went in with him to the marriage feast that was at the groom's house that he had made all these preparations for. And one of the saddest things here, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins, bridesmaids, came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Very tragic ending to this parable. Very tragic ending. You see, what, what's interesting here is these bridesmaids up to this point are indistinguishable. They would have been dressed similarly because they were part of the ceremony. Uh, they, they all had torches. They all were staying together. 
But then all of a sudden, this preparation is revealed. The, the separation is revealed. And now what was indistinguishable is now distinguishable. They don't have anybody to hide amongst or hide behind because it's based on that individual preparation. And now it's time for them to be prepared and they're not. And so they get to the party late and they miss the party. And they ask and they beg and they plead and they say, open the door for us. And he says, I do not know you. And just so you know, this isn't just a parable. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. When the Pharisees are saying, I played the part. I did all this stuff for you. And he says, I never knew you. What, what, what does that mean? It's, I don't have a relationship with you. <laughs> You, you know this because there are many people that you know of in your life. But how many people know you? The people that know you and you know, you don't just know of them and they don't just know of you. You talk. You have a relationship. That's what he's, that's what he's keying in on here. And I think one of, one of the reasons why he says, I, I never knew you is if he knew them and they knew him, then they would have been prepared. They knew he was coming. That's what they were there for. They, they were waiting for him. They were waiting around all the people who knew he was coming too. And yet they decided that they did not want to prepare to meet him. They were, they were going to be unprepared and therefore the door is shut. And he says to them, I never knew you. And you know one of the great things about a, a, a relationship, and you can think about this for your own sake. The strongest relationships that you have in your life are the ones with people who know all of your junk and accept you anyway. Those are your deepest and best relationships. Do you know that's the relationship that Jesus is offering to you? That he knows all of your junk, all of your sin, all of your regrets, all the things that you wish you could do differently, and he says, I accept you nonetheless. I accept you anyway. That's the relationship that he offers. And all it takes to prepare to meet him is to say, Jesus, here's all my junk. I need you to accept me anyway. And you did when you died on the cross for me. That, that's as simple as it is. That's the way you begin a relationship with Jesus. And you go, that's really unfair for Jesus. Yes, it is. And he loves you that much. That's the way that he goes, oh, I know you. Because <laughs> I, know, I know all of you. Not just the stuff you want to portray. Not just the, the, the buttoned up nice part about you. But I know all of you. Yeah, come on in. That's what he's talking about here when he says, I don't, I don't know you. Versus, I do know you. Come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's just the folks that have a relationship with him that have said, Jesus, I trust you with all my junk. And I trust that you'll accept me no matter what because you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. You see, if you don't prepare in that way, then you won't be allowed into the kingdom then. Your preparation in the kingdom then is based on your preparedness for the kingdom now. There is no in-between. 
There is, it's in or out, it's ready or not, it's prepared or unprepared. It's black and white. It's very simple. And, and you go, that's unfair if he closes the door, Cody. It's not because he's already made everything available to you. He's already told you that he's coming. He's already paid the ticket in. He's already done everything for it. It's just, if you, do you want to be there? If you want to be there, you tell him now. Tell him now so that you're in before the door closes because there is going to be a time when it's too late. Just because everyone is invited does not mean everyone will be welcomed in. All are invited. Only those who accept the invitation will join the, the celebration, will we'll join the feast. That's what he's talking about here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize, or do, uh, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Is he? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Every person has to examine themselves. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you placed your trust in him? Even asking that question gets you to begin to live with the end in mind. Because this all drives to verse 13 where he says in the parable, watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour. And this watch means more than stare it means be prepared, be alert. And so I want you to watch for the right things, like your heart and not the chart. I want you to watch for the right things, like your heart and not the chart. And what I mean by that is sometimes we can get so focused when we live with the end in mind, we look at that chart and we start trying to connect dots and we go, here's a world power and here's these economic circumstances and here's this and you, you are focused on the wrong things. You got to keep your eye on the ball. And the ball is your heart. How is your relationship with Jesus? Are you ready to meet him face to face? Are you ready to meet this groom? This is why I, said, this is why I titled the sermon, Preparing for Your Groom's Day. I can't prepare you. No one can prepare you. Only you can prepare yourself so that your groom's day is not a doomsday. Let me pray for us. God, uh, thank you for helping us to, to, to wake up to these truths. And not only that, but preparing us to say, I'm coming and I want to come and I want to welcome you into this feast, this celebration that's based on a relationship with me. So you're asking people to prepare. And Lord God, I pray by the power of your spirit, would you lead people to yourself? where they would die to themselves, give you all of their junk and say, I want to meet you, reserve my spot, Jesus. Only you can let me in before that door shut. And so, Lord Jesus, would you do that by your grace through our faith, that believing that there's no way that we can get right with you beyond what you've already done. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.